Is it recording? There it goes. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. We are back for another and potentially final episode of the Hello Blink Show. That's right. We are here to share some sad news. Harris and I have chatted and decided that we want to shut down the show or ice it. Um, But this is probably the last episode and we're going to get into some of the reasons why. But we want to thank you for all of the time you've spent with us. We have enjoyed making the show. There have been zero regrets and we enjoyed meeting lots of fun new people during the process. And honestly, for me, it's been a way to meet new people and network during the pandemic. I mean, if you think about this, Harris, we basically ran this show during a pandemic and the fact that we couldn't travel um, made it really frustrating. We couldn't go to networking events. We couldn't go to conferences. So I'm super thankful for the time we spent with each other and the guests. And I met lots of people. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, I I have no regrets, but I am sad that we're shutting it down. Yeah, I think when we started this, we wanted to have interesting conversations with people about what they were doing. Because when we started, we talked about the fact that conferences didn't have conversations like this at them. And we'll get to this later, but maybe there's a reason why that is. We noticed that people talked about the stuff we were talking about here, how to get signed by distributors, how to promote your product, how to get subscribers and create a YouTube channel. That's what people were tending to talk about, especially the more entrepreneurially oriented people at trade shows like the Open Hardware Summit. And when we tried submitting talk ideas, we noticed that there wasn't interest by the talk organizers or the event organizers in having having those. So we thought, okay, well, maybe we can make a podcast as a place to have those. And that was our initial idea. And I think that it worked. I mean, it, I've been able to connect with a bunch of people as well through the show. And we've had listeners reach out. We've built a global audience and we can get into the numbers as well. And in terms of what we've accomplished, but I think we did that. And then the question is, where did that take us? Where, and where do we go from there with the initial traction or, or audience or community that we've built so far? Yeah. I don't think the show is necessarily a failure. Like I don't want to consider that. I think we have a base of listeners. A lot of it also has to do with life choices, with a pivot in your career, a potential pivot in my career, where the show simply isn't going to fit into that any longer, which which is unfortunate, but that's that's life choices as we discover things, what works, what doesn't, what we want to do with our lives and what gives us meaning. I believe that we probably could have put more effort into the show. If we decided to, we could really pump effort because right now it was a bi-monthly release. We would release the second and fourth Monday of every month. And one thing we could potentially do is release weekly. Um, We noticed by looking at the download charts that a lot of people would check in on every Monday, regardless of a new episode or not. And there'd be a few listens, there'd be a little bump um, on the off Mondays. So that was something that we could have potentially done. And I think if we were going to do a, a podcast in the future, I would say, let's try to stick to a weekly schedule because we noticed that. And it's something we could play with with the show. But this, along with myriad other reasons, is why we're choosing not to continue the show. And I, I agree. I, I still think there is a desire to have these kinds of conversations um, 
which will probably continue every anytime we go to a conferencing or networking event, right? There, there will still be these backroom hall con type of talks where somebody is going to approach one of us and say, hey, how do I get into doing sales of this thing? And we're going to chat with them about it. And that, that was the impetus for creating the show. And I hope this show has some good insights for those people. And, and in the future, the show is going to still be up. It will still exist. We're just going to not create new episodes going forward. So we'll just be able to point people to this podcast, which is going to be 37 episodes, I think, in total and say, look, we've we've talked about this, but I'm happy to answer your your questions. But for general knowledge, here's this podcast that we recorded a number of episodes and we talked to a number of really cool guests who had the same exact issues you did. So I think there's still going to be a need for that. And maybe in the future, there will be other platforms that these kinds of conversations can continue to happen. Um, but I want to talk about lessons learned. I want to get into what we could have done better. And if we were going to do a podcast in the future, what this might look like. I think first of all, we like the name Hello Blink Show, but I think there's a bit of an SEO miss there. And there's a number of things I want to go through here. Um, Unless you're going on a name that has recognition that's easily searched. I I think there's, there's SEO in the fact that the name Hello Blink Show didn't exist. So if you searched it, you would land on one of our pages. That was a pretty much guarantee. But the name Hello Blink Show did not convey what the podcast was about just by saying the name Hello Blink Show. Like it was supposed to be you're starting something new, you're a technologist or a technology person trying to make something and then sell it, market it, you know, stand up all the legal accounting sides of the business. And Hello Blink just didn't quite convey that. I think that was part of it. If you're searching for podcasts to listen to on various platforms, that was one of them. Harris, what are your thoughts? And you had something about discoverability, which is a part of that, right? Yeah, I think fundamentally, right, if you're going to make something, you need to think about how do people who consume or buy that thing, how do they find it? How do they discover it? And in the case of podcasts, oftentimes it's podcast directories where people are searching for new podcasts to listen to, or it's Google or some other search engine where they're searching and find it. And I think that's where we struggled. And I think that within the podcast directory world, you know, there's categories, podcasts get put into buckets where people can identify similar shows. And we struggled from the very beginning of, is this a business or a technology show? And we ultimately were always saying, yes, this is a business show, but it's really for technology people. And we would explore technology topics, but that bridge between the two given that we were building something from scratch, I think made it difficult for people to discover it, for algorithms to know when to recommend it. And I think also for people to know when to share it with other people, because it's like, who exactly is this show for? We kind of had a sense of that. And we had many of those people on as guests, but it didn't have a clear enough niche And I think that that really made it harder for people to discover and learn the show. Now, I do want to take a quick step back, though, and talk about the numbers because, you know, we have had many thousands of downloads of the show, um, which I think makes it more successful than a lot of podcasts. It was definitely a good run. And regularly, you know, we were getting, even recently, we're getting more than 500 downloads, you know, per month. And episodes are getting hundreds of downloads within the first week or two of release. So I think we had this idea of this audience in our minds. But then the question is, who is outside of that core nucleus? How do we reach them? How can we create and package a media product that will break through these sort of these rings, these concentric circles of 
uh, people who are connected and have these different like sort of overlapping shared audiences. And I think we struggle to break out of the initial conception that we had in our minds. Yeah, I think for me, a part of that, something else we could have done is found a way to build a community around it. Because something that I suspect, this is a hypothesis, that a lot of the people weren't talking to each other. So you've got an engineer from Amazon who builds a product on the side and they want to sell it. And then somebody else is working in the UK and they want to you know, ramp up this production of some other device that they're making. And it's you know, either hardware, software, whatever it is. And as a technologist, I don't know a good place to go discuss that. One place I do know of is Contextual Electronics that Chris Gamble runs. That's just one place I know that some of this consulting conversations happen, but I don't know too many places that this is a normal thing. So I think for us, if we were to do this again, one thing would be focusing on that community aspect, not just have like a comment section in each episode, but also run a Discord server, run forums, whatever it might be to encourage more conversations, not just around each episode. You can announce the episodes on there, but also just help answer people's questions um, and encourage conversation. So I think I think building a community so that people can connect would be another part, but that's just another layer of effort that we would have to do on top of the show. And that's something we could bring in to help bridge and uh, give the show some word of mouth. So I think that's an aspect that it, it wasn't just pushing information out there. We, we need to view it as like community building. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll say, you know, that's not something that I have expertise in. This was new. This is the first podcast I'd done. And I think we learned a lot in the beginning. You know, we were very focused on how do we record? How do we edit? What kind of guests do we want to have on? I think we did a good job of having a very representative slate of guests across a lot of different backgrounds. I think that is one of the things that I'm the most proud of that we did with this show because Many of the shows in business category and the technology category in particular are very similar. It's two people very similar to you and me in terms of background talking about the same things over and over again. And I think that was an accomplishment that we had that I'm really proud of. But I think it's important to know that obviously there's a lot more that goes into building a successful podcast. I think that made the show better. I think it helped grow our listenership. And I think we were more successful than we would have been otherwise if we kind of did the same old, same old thing. But while it made the show better, that alone is not enough to make something get traction. I think these other bigger issues that we've talked about are the main ones. And this is a standalone side project is what also makes it maybe a little bit vulnerable. It gives us independence, but it also means that we, you and I personally also have competing things for our time. And that makes it potentially a distraction to work on the show, to think about the show when we have maybe other things to worry about. And I think that's a challenge that I didn't fully appreciate at the time. This definitely overall is an endeavor. And if you want to start a podcast for your business or for yourself, know that it, we have put a lot of effort into this and we've put a lot of time and thought and energy into it. And I think we're thinking about, well, if we wanted to take it to the next level from where it is now, it would take a lot more energy. It would take another wave of effort and thinking and maybe even rebranding work and technical SEO work and a lot of other things, I think, to get it past where it is today. Yeah. And, and you get into a good point of what did the show do for us from a purely personal, selfish perspective of not just we want to share information, but why do we want to run the show? How does that fit in with our personal brands, our businesses? And there was a lot of thought that went into that when we created the show. Uh, Harris, I'll let you speak about your experiences, but I viewed the show kind of as a either top of funnel or middle of funnel way to not just 
like meeting guests is fantastic. I love meeting meeting guests, but also just get listeners who might be interested in talking to me about marketing stuff, making videos for them. Um, it was it was a way to get the word out about, hey, you can use these SEO ideas, these marketing ideas to create videos if videos fit into your whole marketing strategy. And hey, I might know a guy who does videos for marketing for technical companies, right? Like that's the funnel idea of using the show as a marketing strategy. And I did that for a while. And part of it is looking to pivot kind of where I want to go with my life and career. But Harris, I'm curious about your perspective. How did the show fit in with your particular brand of consulting? But before we continue here, I want to stop and thank our sponsor, Twilio. They do some really cool stuff with IoT, cell phone messaging, and all that. You've got some experience with them, right? What can you tell us? Well, I can just say as a founder myself, I have loved working with Twilio and I have very much relied on what they do to scale up my business. And I'm a non-technical founder, but have been using all the different resources that they have. So you may be familiar with SendGrid, which is an email marketing platform they make. It's really good for transactional automated emails. I guarantee you've gotten an email through that before. They've got Twilio messaging with cloud scale APIs in 180 countries. Twilio video is incredibly easy to embed video into a project that you're building. And they've got a whole set of IoT developer resources. Like you can get free trial of their Twilio Super Sim product, and you should just check it out at twill.io slash HelloBlink. You can see how much that Sim comes with. And the free trial is pretty generous, I think. So how did the show fit in with your particular brand of consulting? Very similar to yours. I think for me, I do, or at least have done this very sort of bespoke, individualized work with clients where it's like I'm a sort of a contract head of sales for them, helping them think through problems. And for clients where we work more closely together, you know, I would have an email address and a calendar. I would sit on calls with their customers and things like that. So this show was an avenue to talk about these different topics, especially things like signing distributors, growing your sales team. We've talked about inbound content marketing. We talked about the business side of, you know, finding an attorney and doing the numbers side of the business, finding a bank for your business. Those are things that also come up in my work because, you know, when you're growing, all of a sudden you need a contract or you have a customer who sends you some weird NDA and you need to review it. So it was very related to the work that I was doing on a daily basis. And I think it gave us a chance to sort of think out loud and talk through topics. And um, fortunately, you know, this show did generate business for me. I was able to work with some really awesome companies uh, in part because of this show. And so I'm grateful for that. I think looking at it from a, like a, outside of opportunity cost of time, but just from a pure like profit and loss perspective. Uh, yes, I, you know, this had a return for me, but that is not the whole purpose of it, right? It's not just to sort of immediately make money because there is opportunity costs. There are other things to be wor- working on. And I think this is probably a good point to transition to what we are working on next. So, you know, for me, I was doing this individualized consulting and what I was finding is that my clients would often not keep up with these sales tools. A lot of the topics we talk about on the show, when it comes time to execute them, I would find my clients wouldn't have time to do them. We would come up with ideas, we would put them down, and then I would check in a week or two later and there wasn't any progress made. When I started working on Intro CRM, my hypothesis was that if you had a simpler sales tool that you would keep up with it. And it turns out in practice that that was definitely not the problem. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> built a really simple CRM and people didn't use it. Uh, we had about a hundred <laughs> people go through and test it. And, you know, even clients and people who I knew very close with, who I thought would even just try it out sort of out of sympathy, they would log in once and then not log back in. And uh, that was a good lesson learned that, okay, I'm, I'm solving the wrong problem here. So instead, I started offering, okay, well, what if we helped you use your CRM? What if we literally helped you do it? We had people who helped you build outbound lead lists or qualify inbound leads. We literally help you sell because you're too busy. And this would be as a substitute for maybe hiring a salesperson or hiring a contractor on your own. It's like having a gym versus having a trainer. Exactly. Like having a gym versus having a trainer, you still have to lift the weights when you have a trainer. And when we work with clients through intro CRM, they, we do still need the founders to be invested in what we're doing. Like, I can't just sort of build a business out of nothing for someone. If I could, we would not be talking right now. I would be on a rocket with Jeff Bezos going to space in the Blue Origin or whatever. But, um, <laughs> you know, so that's not where we're at. Um, but so that's what we've been doing and it's been growing. There's been a lot of interest, a ton of interest. So I've been bringing on contractors. We've been building out the software side of the business to enable the delivery. And, you know, the one-off work, the individualized work, it does not scale. And I also found that there were times when we were really limited in how effective I could be because of client bandwidth. And that was frustrating for me at times because, you know, you can't do what is the saying? You can't drag a horse to water or whatever. You can't make someone do something if they just don't have the time for it or don't think it's important. And that's cool. Like I, there's no resentment there, but it's just like, well, if I really want to help make an impact, how can I structure this and other things that I'm doing so that they can have the maximum impact possible and so that we're not hitting these bottlenecks. And that's really been taking off. And so that's where I'm putting my time and energy. I'm actually winding down another project as well, um, that Osh Data, the open source hardware data project. Um, both of those are going to be winding down here for me this summer, and I'm going to be focusing on intro CRM as well. So can you help me understand, like, what's the difference between the individualized consulting and kind of this, like, package trainer deal, if that even is an appropriate analogy? Yeah, absolutely. Well, with the individualized consulting, just in practice, clients would often spin up an email address for me, you know, harris at acme.com. I would have a calendar, shared calendar with them. We would have regular meetings. I would be sitting in on their client calls and I would be an extension of their team. Fundamentally, I was a part of everything we were doing. And that was on purpose because when I started my business in April, 2019, I wanted it to be that way. I wanted to just get my feet under me. I knew that with the skills and knowledge I had, I could pay my bills by doing that. But the difference here is now that we have a team and we basically say, you know, if we have a conversation where, okay, we, we're not reaching out to all of our new customers or say we're working with a software company and we get, you know, the company gets 75 new signups for trials a week and they're not reaching out to them. They have a drip campaign through marketing that sends check-in emails, but there's no hands-on sales process of looking at who is signing up. You know, we're building up a system to flag certain indicators of what accounts look interesting. And then we're helping them programmatically reach out to those customers to try to have more like proactive sales conversations with these people who are signing up. Similarly, like if a hardware company had a Shopify store and they were selling whatever, 15, 20, 30 units a week, and they're not checking the cash register because they're big enough that those orders are just coming in, they're maybe missing patterns that are coming up with reorders, repeat orders, larger orders that are coming in. And so it's the idea of trying to make things systematic. And we have people, I have contractors who are doing the work right now, but as we hammer things out, we're going from manually doing things with spreadsheets into having software do it. And we're not quite using machine learning or anything like that yet. But this idea of like applying rules-based logic to sales activities 
I think could be something where maybe machine learning or something that would be used in the future, um, but not yet. Right now, we're just doing it manually. We're just doing human intelligence, nothing artificial. I knew there were a couple of companies or at least one company out of Denver that was definitely doing like exactly what you're talking about. They were applying machine learning to marketing and sales data to look for patterns for you. Um, so it, it's it's out there. There are companies that specialize in exactly that, but it's they want to play with large amounts of data, right? Exactly. And that's where what I think we're doing is different is smaller, right? It's where you don't have all these millions of data points. It's where you just have a few things that you know about your customers. And oftentimes what we're focusing on is like customer development, getting to know what makes it, what distinguishes your customers from everyone else in the world, not just industry, but these subcategories, not just the regular job title, but what they focus on in their work, maybe what technologies they use during their workday that connects with your product. And, um, that's where I, that's where we're seeing a lot of traction because there's a lot of companies that you can get to millions of dollars in revenue and still not actually have good answers to these questions. I think most people think that well, once you get to a certain size, you've got, got it all figured out. No, but, no. Uh, but it's not the case. You know, you can get over ten million dollars in revenue and still be wondering who the heck are our customers. It's um, like a, it's like assuming adults know everything. It's yes, like, that's <laughs> yes, exactly. You're like, well, it sounded like they knew about it from what they said on that one podcast interview, <laughs> but. Speaking of these topics, so, you know, I'm interested in those things, but you're actually doing those things. What is next on your side? Yeah. So, so for me, um, I love doing videos, but I, what I have found is the ones that I really enjoy the most are the ones where I teach. I doubt I will become the next Mark Rober because, um, I was, I was chatting with Nick Poole the other night and we, we noticed a couple of interesting trends, especially on YouTube. And like, what does it take to be a YouTube star? And one of the big things is this idea of entertainment value. Generally, people go to YouTube to be entertained, not to be educated. That's not, you know, that's not a zero 100 split, right? I, I search up, a, I search for a lot of things and I educate myself through a lot of YouTube videos. But the big accounts, the, the Mark Robers, the Hacksmith people, even these technologists who use science and technology to make these entertaining videos are still mostly entertainers. And I love watching them. It's it's like Mythbusters. I love watching Mythbusters. But as a scientist slash engineer, I want to see what's going on in the back end. I want to know really how it's done. What are you doing? And, you know, they just do these jump fade cuts, time lapse videos of like, we made this cool thing with duct tape. And I'm like, yeah, but how? I want to know this how. And this has just been kind of a personal thing of like, I keep doing these videos that are more educational in content and trying to help people get started using whatever piece of technology or understanding machine learning. And there is a place for that on YouTube. But what I'm finding is that there are better platforms for this where people go in with um, the desire to learn and they're willing to give you money. That's kind of the, the key here. My hope is I can still work with some companies doing YouTube, but also I want to get into creating courses, like full courses on like Coursera and Udemy. And I've created a couple and they are a complete pain and they take a lot of time, but then you get money on the back end that that comes through like royalty fees. And it's like there's there's a potential career out of just doing that, but I like doing both. I like the companies I'm working with right now. And I that's those aren't relationships I want to end. Um, you know, at everything permitting and 
I'm, I'm potentially open to new clients. That's not saying like, oh, I'm stopping my business. I just don't think I'm going to focus completely on doing marketing content and being a marketing consultant. And I'm not going to bill myself as that any longer. I want to pivot more into this teaching role. And I'm also starting to play with the idea of getting into research because I'm really enjoying machine learning. I know it's the hot topic right now, but there's there's a lot of research being done in where machine learning meets hardware. And this is what's absolutely fascinating. Things like neuromorphic computers or processors or sensors where we are more closely emulating what's happening in our brains than a general von Neumann architecture like your normal CPU, which is meant to just crunch numbers. So the hardware is going to be changing. Everyone's putting money on quantum. I might put my money on neuromorphic instead to say that that's going to probably be the next leap in uh, hardware for things like AI. And it will probably coexist with your your cell phones and your desktops. It's, it's just going to be a new form of computing, which I'm excited about. I want to dig into some of that research stuff, which might mean going for my PhD, like applying to programs to see if I can get in um, or potentially self-funding some research, just saying like, oh, I'm going to carve out time for myself and read academic papers, um, you know, write code for proof of technology, potentially do hard research to to get published. Like these are like life goals I'm talking about, not necessarily some way to start a business to get money. This is like, oh, it would be cool to submit something or contribute something to science, right? Like big life goal. I want to contribute something to science. So how can I do that? And that might mean I have to pay to make that happen. And it's not a business and finding a way to structure my life around that so I can balance it with making money is what I'm looking at. I have no hard plans for that right now, but I I don't particularly want to get into I don't really want to be a marketing consultant. Um, I think I've come to that conclusion over the last year. Um, not that there's not money or a business to be had there. It's just, it's not something that drives me personally. I much prefer to teach people. I want to stay involved in technology. And I think the idea of contributing something to science is more important to me personally than helping other companies make more money through marketing. Now, tell me about these advanced topics that you're interested in because you've done a little bit of work on this, some coursework already, and you share a lot of these things online. But for people who only listen to the show, they may not be familiar with some of the things that you've been working on. What specifically are you excited about digging into? The The big thing that I've been into in the last year is embedded machine learning. I think I've talked about the course briefly once or twice on the show. Um, and this is the idea where we're taking machine learning models and algorithms and optimizing them down to be able to run on things like microcontrollers, um, which is wild. It's kind of simple on the surface when you realize that machine learning is just math and you can easily create a simple enough machine learning model that runs on 8-bit microcontrollers. Like you can, it's just, it's really a question of how useful is it? It might not be particularly useful. I've been toying with like keyword spotting in the last few months. In fact, today I just gave a talk to a university in Canada about embedded machine learning and gave a demonstration of my Hadouken project where you can shout Hadouken at a hacked SNES controller and it performs the move in the game. And it's running a machine learning model on a microcontroller to listen to this. And this is all doing things with deep learning that's convolutional neural networks. It's a fairly simple convolutional neural network, but it's essentially the same technology that's running Alexa. And I apologize for anybody who listens to this out in the open and their echoes just lit up like mine just did. But 
that's what I'm creating. That particular technology is not anything new. That's been around for a few years. But there's some advanced topics that I want to dig into. Things like recurrent neural networks have also been around. But the new one that just piqued my interest is spiking neural networks. And that's actually even more closely resembling how our brains work more so than the current technology of dense neural networks or convolutional neural networks, because these spikes go out between the nodes and the timing of those spikes. And when I say spike, it's a uh, like an electrical pulse, right? It's like zero to like one volt and like one volt would be a spike. And it's just this very quick spike. And the timing between these spikes and which nodes are activating the spikes is how the information is being encoded or passed through the neural network. Turns out it's super difficult to make because we don't really have hardware that does this yet in production. I think there's there's a couple of things out there that can do this. They're called neuromorphic computers. Like I believe Intel has like a prototype that kind of does this. And training these neural networks is super difficult. A lot of it has to do with the fact that the math to emulate these spikes is all differential equations. And that makes it very difficult to emulate in current computer architecture. So you need specialized hardware to do this. And to me, that's just absolutely fascinating. And I'm like, oh, I want to get into this and start researching this. And I want to carve out time for myself to be able to dive into this and really learn about it. But it's not something that's really in production yet. It's This is very ivory tower academic But I think this has the potential to change the way AI works in our world. And it's got a lot of market value, I think. You know, here's hoping. But um, it's also just fascinating. Like, we're getting closer to this Isaac Asimov idea of a positive... Is it a positronic brain? I'm trying to remember. I got to remember my my good sci-fi. Yeah, the the positronic brain. um, The Asimovian idea of this, like, actual AI hardware that runs closer to how human cognition works. And I'm like, that's freaking awesome. You know, all the Skynet jokes aside, like we're going to move towards that anyway. Absolutely. So I think for both of us, the the thread here is that the intended audience for the show, you know, before we worked with people like that a lot. And so we built a show for them. And now we're finding that we're working with people like that less or maybe not at all. And therefore making a show for those types of folks doesn't make sense anymore for us, just on a personal professional level. Yeah, for, for who our intent, intended audiences are. And that's not to say we won't make a show or make a show together because I like working with Harris, but it might be something else. It, it probably won't be Hello Blink show. It's just as we pivot in our careers, the show's not going to really fit in with the careers any longer. But that's not to say I'm done with podcasting because podcasting was a really cool and fun way to meet people, convey information in a much more informal setting than, say, doing a video. Yeah. I agree. And I'll say for the record, I like working with you too, Sean. I think, we had, I think we had a lot of fun with the show. I enjoyed getting to know you through the show and having all these good conversations. You know, I do enjoy posting as well. I have a podcast actually for Intro CRM called Pipeline Meeting, but it's very focused on that. It's a very focused on the product and it's very focused on building your pipeline for, you know, business owner. And so I think that may not be even for everybody who listens to this show. I think we probably have a lot of people who listen to this show who are just technologists or the developers and they just find the conversations about business interesting, but they don't actually really want to have their own business or maybe just one day. Um, So I think for me, that's a more targeted use of podcasting in general. I like podcasting. And I think, you know, beyond the listeners who we've talked about a lot, I do think it's also worth just saying thanks to the sponsors that we've had for the show. 
Cyber City Circuits and Twilio, I think both really saw the vision for what we were doing here. And I think they were really generous in supporting the show. And it showed us that I think that the way we did this and the types of guests we had and the types of conversations we had were valued and appreciated. And that was nice because, you know, it is good to get some validation out there, but just because some people are appreciating it or it's going reasonably well, doesn't mean uh, that it goes on forever. And the sponsors, they did validate. They absolutely validated because they saw value in advertising on the show to say we were trying to capture the same audience that they were potentially going after. And and they might have been at a loss um, and wanted to try something new for saying like, okay, how do we find the technologists or hardware people or software people who want to start their own businesses? And hey, look, there's a podcast that's doing this, right? So it was validating to know that there was interest behind it and people were willing to put some money behind it. So yeah, I want to thank the sponsors as well. They were super generous. They helped you know keep the servers on um, to host the show. Um, so Harris, just so we know, like the show will still be on transistor, right? That's like, we're right. going to keep that up. Um, even, even if like transistor dies in the future, we'll find a way to keep the episodes alive somewhere. So people in the future can find it and it, you know, we'll find a way to host it and we will find a way to keep, uh, the hello blink show URL. So with that, I, you know, I'm going to close out the show for the final episode. So long, farewell. Thanks for all the fish. Um, and really, I appreciate everybody's time for putting into this. Feel free to reach out to Harris and I. We're going to still be on social media, um, still kicking it. So um, please give us a follow. And yeah, we'll still be here to answer your questions. Thank you to everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Hello Blink Show. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash routine.